Hey, I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning. Before I get started with today's sermon, I got a quick announcement um, that we wanted to happen at the beginning of the sermon today. Just to let you guys know, Sunday, December 17th, so that's in two weeks, we're asking you guys to bring a special gift for our special Christmas offering. So I imagine that the finances here at City Point are similar to the finances at your house or at my house. We walk by faith. Uh, we live like the Apostle Paul says, Christ, uh, in him we live and we move and we have our being. And so we walk in faith, uh, we keep on trusting. Um, he is the one keeping and sustaining City Point. He is the one that enables City Point to do his work. Um, but that being said, our desire for City Point as we go into 2024 is that uh, City Point is financially healthy and uh, able to do the work that God has for us here in Springdale. And so the thing that I want to ask you guys, we're kind of giving you a couple weeks of a, of a heads up. I think the most important part of giving is to, to consider it. Be prayerful. Think about um, kind of what God has in store for you and what God would like um, for you to do. And... Um, and we also want to just say, like, we're thankful for what you guys have done already. Um, uh, City Point is thankful. Um, and, and also that we need to remember um, that when I tithe or whenever I volunteer, um, I'm not giving or volunteering for City Point. I'm giving and volunteering for God. And he already owns everything, and um, and every uh, every dollar that I spend is a blessing from him. Every second that I continue to breathe uh, is a gift from him, and um, and so he wants us to be cheerful when we uh, give a portion of that back. So if you guys will just be prayerfully considering over the next couple of weeks um, for that special uh, Christmas offering on December 17th. We'll have some more details about it next week, and we'll post to social media also. All right. So I better get started because um, I'm a little bit long-winded and I got a, a couple stories to tell today and I don't want to run over too long. The teacher in me says, well, we have to start off with a recap, right? We're 10 weeks into this sermon series. We've talked about eight names of God and uh, we're going to be talking about a new one today, but I think it's worth going back and talking about the ones that we've covered so far. The first one that we talked about was Barah Elohim. That's also the first name that we're introduced um, of God in the Bible. And um, Barah Elohim is the creator God, right? He's the one who gives life to everything that is living. Uh, he's the infinite creator of the universe. Then we talked about the name that God introduces himself with, Yahweh. And in scripture, it's um, spelled with these four letters, Y-H-W-H, uh, but we pronounce it Yahweh. And in the Bible, that is translated as Lord. And we know that he is the Lord of everything, and not just that, but he is inviting us to take part in his story of redemption. Then we talked about El Elyon. El Elyon is God most high. Everything in all creation falls within his domain and jurisdiction. He decides, El Elyon. Then we talked about Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. The Lord our banner. God is dependable. He can be counted on. Yahweh Nisi. Then we talked about a couple weeks ago, El Shaddai, sorry, <laughs> Yahweh Sabaoth. He is the Lord of hosts. He commands the angel armies. 
you can trust in him and his ability to win battles. Then we talked about El Shaddai. El Shaddai is the one who is mighty to provide for all of your needs. And then last week was Yahweh Tzikidnu. It's kind of an interesting pronunciation of an Old Testament Hebrew word. Yahweh Tzikidnu, and that would be the Lord our righteousness. The creator of the universe has provided the means to reconcile us to him. What kind of good news is that? And that brings us to this week and the new name of God that we're going to be talking about. And that name is El Roi. Sometimes it's pronounced Elroy, but we have an, a human name, Elroy. So we're going we're gonna to pronounce like the Hebrews pronounced it, Elroy. And Elroy is the God who sees me. The God who sees me. And what I want you guys to take away from today's message, I like to give it at the beginning. That way, in case you fall asleep or miss something, you don't miss the main point. Elroy, the God who sees me. The God who sees me where I am now sees me living the plan he has for my future. We need to remind ourselves of that every day. The God who sees me where I am now sees me living the plan he has for my future. He's not bound by time. He already sees it. El Roy. All right. So let me start with a story. I don't know if I've shared my story with you guys. Um, I am the firstborn of four boys, the oldest of four boys. And I was born and raised, my mom and dad did a great job raising us in a Christian home. Some of my earliest memories are memories in church um, or memories of my dad sitting at the kitchen table with his concordance and his Bible open early in the morning studying scripture with my mom. Like, that's some of my earliest memories. I'm definitely blessed. Um, in fact, that's carried over into mine and my brother's adulthood. Every Tuesday morning, we have a FaceTime Bible study, the four of us boys and my dad. And it's a blessing every week. Uh, I was baptized at the early age of six. I was pretty young. At the early age of six. And my family went to church every opportunity there was. And when I say every opportunity there was, I'm not talking about we didn't miss a Sunday morning service. Our church had a Sunday morning service, and it had a Sunday night service. We didn't miss. And it had a Wednesday night service. We didn't miss. And we also met during the week with other families for small group. We didn't miss. We went to church every opportunity there was. Um, because of my personality, and probably being a firstborn on top of that, I just have this desire to please authority. Maybe it's a strength, maybe it's a weakness. Um, but from that early age, dedicating my life to Christ, giving, giving him lordship of my life, I just had this desire to learn as much as I can about scripture, learn as much as I can about God. In fact, I remember the church that I was in um, I don't remember a lot about when we lived in Mississippi, but we moved to Arkansas when I was eight. And we started attending a church called Conway Chapel. Loved that church. And on Wednesday nights, the pastor would call all the kids up on stage, and he would have a Bible trivia in front of everybody after the singing. And it was single elimination, and second and third place got a quarter, and first place got a dollar, 
and bragging rights for the week. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot then, but that was back in the day when you could get a Sam's Choice Cola for a quarter. So it is a lot different than it is now. So um, I like to follow the rules. I like to learn a lot about Christianity and the Bible. As I grew up, the frequency of church attendance didn't lessen. And I remember when I was finally old enough to start attending youth group. That was a big deal. The youth group kids didn't come in with the little kids and the adults during, during our Wednesday night service. They went off and they did their own thing. Uh, but you guys have been around me. I'm a little bit nerdy. Uh, I'm a little bit awkward. I don't always find it easy to carry on conversation. So I often say, the youth group's waving at me, I often say things that I regret later. And so when it came to joining the youth group, um, even though I was excited, I didn't really find a place. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that before joining a group. You're excited about joining, and then after you join, you kind of see that there's not really a place for you in that group. Around this same time as joining the youth group and not finding a place, uh, I was started being bullied by someone close to our family. I don't think they were ill-intented. I don't even think they knew what they were doing. I don't want to, you know, assume malice. Um, but my mom saw the situation, and she kind of saw how it was affecting me. And she had this wonderful idea for me um, to spend some of my summer vacation uh, in Mississippi with my cousin Seth, who's very close to my age. And so I went off to Mississippi uh, and, and started going to his youth group. And I met uh, his, one of his youth mentors, the guy that was over him and his uh, group of, of guys. They had men who kind of grabbed groups of guys from the youth group and, and followed up with them. And this guy talked about God like he and God were close, um, like they had spent some time together, if I could explain it that way. Like he knew things about God that like I didn't know. And maybe you couldn't just, like, you know, read scripture and, and learn. Um, and that was surprising to me. I had great examples of my parents, but oftentimes, as youth, you don't listen to your parents, right? Uh, I had great ex examples in my church uh, at Conway Chapel. Um, but it was something different about this man and the way that he talked about God. And in my interactions with him, I realized that I didn't have a personal relationship with God. And I know that word is thrown around a lot. You need to have a personal relationship with God. What does it mean to have a personal relationship with someone? I think it means like you've interacted with that person, um, that you have emotions for that person and they have emotions for you, that you and that person are, are able to empathize with each other, know how that person feels in a situation that they're experiencing and be there with them for that situation, a personal relationship. I didn't have it. And so I, I kind of want to give you guys an, an, an illustration of my relationship with God. George W. Bush was the first president that I remember being in office. Um, and I, it was a crazy time, right? 9-11 happened. There was all kinds of war going on. He's a pretty controversial president. Um, but he's the first one I remember, and I had the opportunity just recently to work at a summit in Texas, and he was one of the, the keynote speakers there, 
he spoke at this summit. And uh, I was in the room with him, um, but he didn't know I was there, <laughs> right? Shook his hand. He didn't know me from all the other people in line shaking his hand. Um, I knew that this, this man had done some, some great things for, um, for me and other people, but I didn't know him, and he didn't know me. I didn't have a personal relationship with George W. Bush. You guys kind of get the idea of my attitude about God? We, I submitted to his authority as president, but I didn't know him. So, let's put a pause on my story for a second and, and look at a story in Scripture. Now, this is a story that Jim Bob actually talked about a couple weeks ago. And um, he was talking about what happened before and what happened after this story. So, it's kind of mentioned in passing. Uh, but we're going to get into the horrible details of this story today. Abraham is the father of three major religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all trace their origins back to Abraham. Abraham is kind of a big deal in the Bible. He is the father of faith. He is the father of the Jewish nation. He is the one of all the earth that God selected and sent him on a journey. And his wife, Sarah, is also a pretty big deal. They're both listed in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith as people to model our life after. But I think oftentimes when it comes to these kind of faith figures, we spend a lot of time looking at their highlight reel, all the good things that they did, all the characteristics that I would like to incorporate into my life. And sometimes we gloss over the more difficult stories. And we're going to talk about one of those difficult stories today. So we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 16, basically read the whole thing. So this is before Abraham and Sarah have gotten their new names. So you're going to hear them referred to as Abram and Sarai. It's coming up a few chapters later, God makes a covenant with them. He changes their name. That's a whole sermon series in itself. But in the story, you're going to hear them referred to as Abram and Sarai. And God has called Abram to leave his family And walk off into the desert because God has a plan for his life. And that plan includes a child. And that child is going to be the beginning of a huge nation and ultimately redemption for the world. All right, let's pick up in Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him. There's a couple reasons. One is she's really old. Two, she's been barren for her whole life. But she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. This is where things start getting troubling. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. Now, there was a tradition that we see in Scripture, so it was kind of common at the time. If a wife had slaves, those slaves could bear children, and they would belong to the wife as if they were hers. We see this with um, Jacob, whose name changed to Israel. He had two wives, but he had his sons through four. I don't know why Abraham agreed to this, 
I think any man would look at this situation and be like, this is trouble. This can't end well. But these are different times, all right? So Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Isn't this a train wreck of a situation? Abram and Sarai have said, look, God's not coming through. Let's take matters into our own hands. It's not going to turn out well. They force a woman into their family. And then once she has the master's child growing inside of her, she starts showing contempt for her master's wife, Sarai. It's awful. Pretty terrible situation. This one's one that we read over real quick when we're reading through the Old Testament. This is one that might be skipped in Sunday school. But we're going to look at it today. We're going to keep reading. We're going to figure out why this is in the Bible. So picking up in verse 5, yeah. When Sar- then Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. But now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. You guys sense some blaming going on? Abraham replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Wow. When we take things into our own hands. Not a good look for Father Abraham. Not a good look. So Hagar runs off into the desert because she can't deal with it anymore. How many of you guys find yourself in a situation that is so difficult, seems like the only option you have is to run away? That life has has dealt you a bad hand and the only thing that you have the power to do is run away. It's probably interesting to keep in mind that Hagar runs away into the desert. And that's oftentimes what we find ourselves doing when we run away from a difficult situation. We run away into the desert. Picking up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. So as far as we can tell historically, she left Abraham and was running back to Egypt. We don't know what happened in Egypt to get Hagar in slavery in Abraham's family, but she's running back to whatever problem that was on the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. 
And the angel also said to her, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. Glad I picked the New Living Translation and not the King James Version. He'll be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone, and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Therefore, Hagar, oh, sorry, therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are El-Roi, the God who sees me. And she also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So that well was named Berah-Lahai-Roi, sorry, Roi, I mispronounced it, Bier-Lahai-Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me. It can still be found between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave Abraham a son, sorry, Abram a son, and Abram named him Ishmael. Abraham was, Abram was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. So you guys have the story now. It's time to point out a few things. First off, we remember that this story that we're reading, the Old Testament first five books, are being written down by Moses as he leads the people of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land. So he is telling the story. At the beginning, if the narrator didn't give us Hagar's name, we wouldn't know it. To Abram and Sarai, Hagar was the servant girl. The first time a person refers to her by name is when the angel of the Lord appears to her in the wilderness. I couldn't imagine going so long without hearing my name. And there's a chance she had forgotten what her name sounded like. But she's found in the wilderness, and the angel of the Lord starts off by naming her Hagar. This is also the first time in Scripture where an unborn child is named in the womb, Ishmael. And it's because even in Abram and Sarai's mistake, God is going to fulfill his promise. It's going to be a difficult time. Because Ishmael is the father of Islam and also many of the peoples in the Arab nation. And we know that that war between Ishmael's people and Abram's other sons, Isaac's people, that war is still going on to this day. But when he names, uh, when the angel of the Lord names Ishmael, he's telling this servant girl that you're going to have a son who's free. That's a big deal. And not just a son who's free, but he's going to carry freedom into his lineage. Because God is a God who fulfills his promises. The other thing that I want you guys to realize here is that God works through the mistakes of humanity. 
we're in the middle of reading the Bible through in a year. I say in the middle. It's December. Um, we're in the New Testament. You read through the Old Testament, and it is a story of God working through the mistakes of humanity. We see occasionally God rescues someone from suffering. That is not the norm. The norm is that God redeems us and perfects us as he leads us through the suffering. If that struck a nerve, you need to go back and watch the different series that we did on 1 Peter. God is with us in the suffering to redeem us and perfect us through the suffering. I think this is interesting. It is, it is a very normal thing to run away from something that's difficult. When things get tough, you run away. Everybody finds that desire inside of them. And it's what the devil wants you to do. The devil is going to try to convince you to run away when things get difficult. Do you know why? Because if you stay and fight, the battle's already won. He's going to try to convince you to run away when things get difficult. Because if you stay and fight, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. The battle's already been won. We, we see this in, in Paul's letter to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 8, verses 28. We see, and there we go. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. He's working in the midst of humanity's mistakes. Your battle is already won. He called Hagar back from the wilderness into a difficult situation because he had a plan for her life. He saw her. He's the God who sees her in the desert, but he already saw the children that she was going to have. He's the God who heard the cry of her heart. We don't hear a prayer from Hagar in this whole story, but he names Ishmael the the God who hears me because, he says, he heard her weeping. He heard her cry. All right, back to my story. I came back from my cousin's house with a desire to have a relationship, a personal relationship with God. And it is the God that I believed in. It's the God that I had dedicated my life to. I had made him Lord of my life almost a decade earlier. I wanted to get to know him. So how is this going to happen? Well, this, this youth mentor that I had met in Mississippi, he recommended that I start having a quiet time. Again, I think that's a Christianese word that's thrown out. So what I did was I would go into my room with my Bible. I didn't have Bible on my phone. I would have been immediately distracted. I have my Bible. I have my journal. I have my praise and worship music. And I just spent time trying to get to know God better. I think that first time I was in my room for 30 minutes and nothing happened. <laughs> I, read, I read the Bible. I learned, I learned some more about the Bible. I journaled. I didn't leave feeling like I knew, knew him any better. And this went on. Tried to do it every day. Wasn't that consistent. I was a teenager. But I remember there was one day sitting in my room with my Bible and my journal open 
and I got this feeling that somebody was watching me. Have you guys ever had that feeling before? That feeling where you're like, And the room was so thick with this feeling that somebody was watching me, it was difficult to breathe. I knew in that moment that God could see me. Not see humanity, God could see Nathan sitting in his room trying to get to know him. And not just see me, but that God could hear the cry of my heart. We have another passage from Romans 3. It's Romans 8. It's verses 26 and 27. It's the two before the one we just read. Maybe, maybe they're related. I don't know. You'll have to think about it. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. God sees and hears you. God sees you in your loneliness, and he hears the cry of your heart for someone else. He sees and he hears that, and he also sees the person that he has for you. God sees you in your financial difficulty. When it doesn't seem like you can pay the bills, you still want to be generous, but you just don't know how it's going to work out. He sees you, and he sees the plan that he has for you, the financial freedom that he's bringing you. God sees you struggling at work, this thankless job. Nobody appreciates me. God sees you. He hears the cry of your heart. He has a plan for you in that situation to make his name known, to build his kingdom. El Roi, the God who sees me. In that moment, in my room, in the quiet, I knew that this God that could see and hear me was calling me to be part of his kingdom building plan. I think you could say that this was the first moment that I felt a call into leadership, into ministry. In that moment right there in my room, feeling God watch me, I knew God had created a place for me. So I went back to the youth group, that youth group that I couldn't find a place in, and uh, lo and behold, God had a place for me the whole time. Um, Around that time, the two college guys that were helping out with youth worship left, and I learned to play the guitar and started leading worship in the youth group. Um, that same time, I spoke with my youth pastor and, uh, and created an opportunity for the youth group members to start preaching in youth group. It was just an awesome time. And let me got, let you guys know right now, I'm not bragging. I'm awkward. I'm a nerd. I can't do that kind of stuff. But it's El Roi, the God who sees me, has empowered me with his spirit. The God who sees you has empowered you with his spirit. This character from the story, the angel of the Lord, we've been introduced to them before. 
we talked about actually the second Sunday in the sermon series. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. All throughout scripture, we have these examples of God taking some kind of physical form and interacting with his people, right? He was the the pillar of fire, and the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. He appeared as a thunderstorm on top of the mountain when he gave Moses uh, the Ten Commandments. But there are significant places in the Old Testament where God takes a human form. It's called a Christophany. It's Jesus Christ before his incarnation. And he shows up in key moments in the story of redemption. He shows up in the garden to confront Adam and Eve in their sin. He sees them in their sin and sees the plan of redemption that he has for humanity. He shows up to Hagar in the wilderness, seeing her running away from a bad situation. And he also sees the plan and future he has for her family. He shows up to Abraham multiple times, the angel of the Lord. He sees Abraham making these difficult decisions, but he also sees Abraham's ancestor who's going to bring redemption to the whole world. He shows up to Moses. We talked about that. Moses was running away in the wilderness, calls Moses to go free his people because he already sees their freedom. He sees Gideon hiding in a well from the enemy army, and he sees Gideon winning the war and freeing Israel. He calls Gideon courageous, hiding in a well. The angel of the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, God in human form, sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire and is there with them because he sees the testimony and the mind of the king being changed. El Roi, the God who sees me. These are all pictures, all plans for what's going to happen. And we see it happen in the beginning of the Gospel of John. John talks about the word was with God at the beginning because it was God. And this word became human flesh. God, the the names that we've been talking about all the way up to this point, stepped out of infinity and into an infant because God saw you and the plan he has for your life. He sees you now in the struggle that you're having and he's calling you through it. Don't run away. God's got this. He's the host of heaven. He's our banner. He's dependable. He's the creator. He's got this. So, just so that you guys know, he sees you. He sees you making your mistakes. The Bible says that that stuff that's done in secret will be brought out into the light. He sees you making your mistakes. He sees you struggling and suffering. And he sees the plan he has for your life. He hears the cry of your heart. And he acts on that cry. He sees you worshiping 
and praising in spite of your situation. And he doesn't just see and hear us. He's here with us right now. He's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Just so you guys know, the God who sees me where I am now sees me living the plan he has for my future. The God who sees me where I am now sees me living the plan he has for my future. Guys, let's stand up and give him worship and praise.